here's, a, here's an interesting question to kick us off. Are any of you actually able in your homes with your families to watch a whole movie through without hitting the pause at least once? <laughs> we haven't watched a whole movie without hitting the pause for I don't know how long. It's like it's impossible for us to make it. Someone needs a snack. Someone's got to go to the bathroom. Somebody comes over to the house. One of our kids at college calls, and we got to take the call. We want to take the call. Uh, it's like we can't seem to make it all the way through. It's not that big of a deal, though. It's not that big of a deal. It feels annoying if it's right in the middle of some climactic. It's not that big of a deal because we can just hit the pause, and the movie stops. Right? We take care of what we need to do, and then we just come back and we continue where we were. Question, what if you could just hit the pause in life? Would that not be amazing? Sometimes I wish I could just hit the pause uh, just for a minute and, like, stop the world. Whoop, and just, you know, take stock, take account, figure out what is going on. What if you had a remote that allowed you to just hit the pause whenever you wanted in life? I wonder, when would you hit the pause? What kind of situation, when do you feel like things are moving so fast that what all you really need is just to like, just hit the pause for a minute and, uh, and be able to walk around and see things a little bit more clearly? I've been thinking a lot, <clears throat> along with this temptation theme um, that I've been focusing on for eight or nine months, I've been thinking a lot about the factors that contribute to people doing things that end up hurting people. Um, whether it's a harsh word that you speak to somebody in your family or it's a, um, a hurtful act that you, that you do to a stranger, we think um, the thing before we say the thing or we do the thing. It starts with a thought. It starts with an idea, which is really interesting to me. We're usually barely aware of the thought before we just say it. We're barely aware of the thought before we just, we just do it. And then it's too late. And then all we really have to do is go, ah, what was I thinking? Like, why did I do that thing? Why did I say that thing? What if in that moment of temptation, before we said the harmful word, before we did the hurtful act, we could just hit the pause? Just hit the pause. Today is the third Sunday of the season of Lent, which is a season of personal examination leading up to the celebration of the resurrection at Easter. And our sermon series is called The Benefits of Temptation. Here's what I want to do this morning. Quickly review last week in case you weren't here or need a reminder. Secondly, I want to interrogate temptation. And then finally, I want to consider a second benefit to temptation. We're talking about the benefits of temptation. So we're going to review, we're going to kind of uh, interrogate temptation and then offer another benefit. Quickly, here's what we talked about last week. We pointed out two common responses to being tempted or to facing temptation. One common response is you just give in to temptation. You just, you just do the thing that you're tempted to do, which means you sin, and that's not healthy, and so that's not good. Um, that is, is not something that we want to encourage, right? It's definitely not something that we're made to do. The second common response to feeling temptation is to fight against temptation, to run away from temptation, to resist temptation. And of course, that's the ideal. We want to resist temptation. My concern is resisting temptation indefinitely is not sustainable. Eventually, you wear down, you get tired. So last week, we considered a third option, which is to face the temptation, which I realize feels scary and overwhelming at times. 
Um, because essentially what you're doing in facing temptation is you're facing more than just temptation. You're facing a big storm of things that is coming at you quickly, including um, desire and deception and temptation and then sometimes sin or the memories of sin or the awareness of the consequences of sin. So, but here's the benefit of facing the storm. Here's, here's what good can come from facing this temptation. In temptation, we can see where we are misplacing our true identity. Temptation can reveal where we are misplacing our true identity. Your true identity is child of God. That is the most true thing about you. You are made by God, loved by God. God created you, loved you. He designed you to experience peace and fulfillment and joy in relationship with God. That's who you are. The ways you are most tempted are like big neon signs, arrows pointing to the place you are misplacing your identity pointing to the ways you are misunderstanding who you are. For instance, maybe your kid's talking to you, and uh, you should be listening, and you know you should be listening, but you just feel consumed with work. You're just thinking about work the whole time. And that's not good because I'm misplacing my identity in how well I perform at work. So I, the conversation in my mind goes like this, man, I really i am so tempted to check email one more time. That, that is not a good thing, but here's what's good about it. It reveals where I am misplacing the source of my value, my worth, my importance, my significance. Right? How interesting. That's where I'm seeking validation. Huh. That's where I'm trying to prove my worth. That's where I'm searching for acceptance. I just think it's a benefit to temptation. Since we experience temptation so often... Like all day, every day, let's turn the tables. Let's see what benefits we could gather from this experience. One of them is it reveals, temptation reveals where we're misplacing our identity. Today I want to talk about another benefit of temptation, which I realize, again, scary. It requires us to face storms. The reason that no one wants to talk about temptation is because the ways you're tempted are typically the ways you've sinned. And so it's revealing to talk about the ways you're tempted. Right? It's, it's, very trans, it's very vulnerable to talk about the ways you're tempted. But I want to encourage us, when we feel tempted today, here's my thought. I want to encourage us, in the face of temptation, to hit the pause in order to ask, essentially, this question. What in the hell is going on right now? And, and I'm not saying that that way for emphasis. I am saying that that way precisely because I want to see what source of evil is at work in my life right now. What is the enemy of my soul's move right now? What is the work of hell at work in my life consciousness awareness right now? I want to name it so I can deal with it. Right? I want to hit the pause in order to interrogate this temptation. Now, here's an assumption. 
We're talking about temptation as an experience of being drawn to believe something or being drawn to do something that is not good, right? It's harmful either to myself or to others. We're talking about an experience, temptation, of being attracted to something that we know isn't good. Most simply stated, temptation is when I want to do the wrong thing or part of me wants to do the wrong thing. So we use temptation so loosely, um, and so it probably isn't the best word to use in some of the sillier examples, like I'm so tempted by that cookie, or I'm so tempted to hit the pause, uh, I mean the snooze button. In the New Testament, if we take that as our source, the, the Greek word is translated temptation rather than test whenever the context reveals that what's at stake here is cooperating with evil. Okay, So that's when we are talk- when we're talking about temptation from a New Testament standpoint. We're talking about being drawn towards something that is evil. So when that's what we're experiencing, what if we could hit the pause? What if we could stop the movie? Right? What if we could just... Take a minute to realize what is really going on. What is the force of hell at work right here and right now? Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. And he says that right after talking about the devil as a thief or the thief who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that people may have life and have it to the full. The enemy comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus loves us, gives us life for our good. The devil or the deceiver or the tempter or the thief does not give, only takes, does not give. Jesus speaks life into existence. The devil takes life away, only takes life, never gives life. Steals, kills, destroys. So the question is, what is the thief's move? right now as I'm feeling tempted? What is the force of hell at work in this situation, in my mind or in my heart? Or put another way, what is the good thing being threatened here? What is the beautiful thing at risk of being perverted if I go forward in this way, if I step into this attraction towards the thing that it looks good but I know is not good? At the end of the day, you have good and you have the, the perversion of good. That's, that's all you have. That kind of black and white thinking isn't very common in our culture, but this is the worldview that we're offered by Scripture, by Jesus. I am the good shepherd. I give life. There's a thief who comes to take life away. Really clear, the opening line of the D.K., one of the first, probably the first baptismal preparation account, um, documents in the church. First line, there's the way of life, there's the way of death, and there's the great distance between the two ways. There is good, and then there is the perversion of good, and that is what we call evil. So when we're talking about temptation, we are not talking about sin. They're different. But when we're talking about temptation, we are talking about the experience of being pulled towards sin. So that's the assumption that we're making. 
Here's the core idea for today. When tempted, what if we could hit the pause and we could ask questions? By the way, I should say this. There are all sorts of random ways that we're tempted throughout the day. And some of these, you know, we don't often have the wherewithal to go, I'm going to hit the pause right now in the face of this temptation. I'm not really talking about that hitting the pause in the, in the situations that are just random and bizarre and maybe you're going to be tempted this way like two or three times in your whole life. Just resist that stuff. I don't even think you need to think about that. Just resist that. For instance, I was in front of my office a couple of days ago. I was noticing this young mom struggling. She had this big crazy purse and she had a, a, a baby carrier and she had her keys and she had coffee and she was trying to get into her car down this big uh, curb in front of our office and I noticed that something came out of her purse. And I'm pretty, pretty sure it was like bills, like dollar bills. And this thought came into my head. Just let her get in the car and then go see what it is. And maybe it's money and you can take it. I was like, where, where did that come from? Like, where, seriously, because here's the thing. Because I'm not generally tempted to steal. It's, it's not, I got my things, but that's not one of my things. Now, if it were, so I just, I just said, hey, I think... I think you dropped something, right? I just resisted temptation. I just, I just, I think you dropped something. She did. She picked it up. Now, if that were something that I were, what I, that I was constantly, temp- if I was always going into stores and going like, I'm just going to pocket stuff, right? If I, every time one of you invited me over, I was just like looking around. What could I just five finger discount, you know? If that was a thing for me, that's the situation where I need to interrogate that, right? I need to hit the pause. In other words, if that's one of the temptations that I'm facing as a pattern, as a consistent, this thing has my number. It knows where I live. It's become sophisticated. It understands me. It anticipates my every move. It's around every corner, the same stinking temptation. I need to figure that out. I need to stop just trying to run away from that because it will catch me. I need to turn around, face that, ask some good questions, and say, what is going on here? What in the hell is going on here? What is evil's intent here? What is the force of evil at work in my life here? James writes this, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me because God is not tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. So the big question, which is easy to remember, is when I'm tempted, what in the hell is happening here, right? Here are some more specific questions um, that I want to suggest. Three. Number one, what do I want? What am I desiring? I would encourage you to name it and be as honest and accurate and specific as possible. What do I want? This is not the deep life question. This is very specific. I want that. I want Gwen's approval. That's what I want, right? I want recognition for this effort. I, I, I want something to take the edge off. Here's Matthew's account of the first temptation of Christ. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. 
Now, Matthew doesn't explicitly say what Jesus wants, but it's not difficult for us to figure it out, right? He's been fasting for 40 days, 40 nights. He's hungry, and so the devil, adversary, thief, deceiver, tempter, challenges Jesus to make bread. What does Jesus want? He wants bread, right? He wants bread. Isn't it interesting how basic this is? That's what he wants, He wants bread. When Jesus tells this story of being tempted to his disciples, they all would have appreciated just the reality. Oh, I would anticipate that. Clearly, Jesus is hungry. He wants bread. They would have understood it um, immediately. Jesus is tempted. What does Jesus want? He wants bread. When we are tempted, the what do I want question is usually pretty obvious. It's usually like very clear. It's the thing on the surface. That's what I want. That's that's, That's the thing that I'm feeling drawn toward. Here's a second question. What do I need? And that's a more difficult question to answer, but it's not too difficult to identify if you're willing to be honest. What do I need? So here's some examples. I want that person's approval, but what I need is to believe that I'm accepted, that I'm welcome with them, right? What I want is recognition for this effort, but what I need, I think I need, is to feel seen and appreciated and valued. I want something to, quote, take the edge off, but I think what I need is relief from this sadness. I think I need a break from the pain. I think I need to be healed. Back to Jesus' first temptation. The tempter came to Jesus and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's quoting Deuteronomy 8, early in the Old Testament. Now, Jesus, nobody would argue that Jesus' desire for bread was in and of itself um, unreasonable, right? It's clearly reasonable desire. What's more, his desire for bread was more than a want. His desire for bread is a legitimate need He hasn't eaten for 40 days. You could easily say it's a legitimate need. But Jesus realizes what is going on here. Okay, He is the beloved son of God. What he really needs is to be sustained through this trial. That's what he needs. He needs to persevere through this trial. He needs strength to do that which means he needs something more than he needs carbs. He needs something more than he needs bread. So he answers, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. What were the last words that came from the mouth of God? This is my son, and I love him. And I'm pleased with him. Jesus is drawing his sustenance from every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
When we experience repeated temptations, those constant ones that are just always on your shoulder, we should pause, we should interrogate the temptation by asking, what is going on here? And more specifically, what do I want? What do I actually need? And then finally, what has God said? What has God revealed, both to me and to my community? In Jesus' case, and we can take this as instructive for our lives as well, Jesus' temptations are for our instruction. In Jesus' case, God has said, this is my son. This is my child. I love him, and I'm pleased with him. If Jesus believes what the Father has said, he can trust the Father to provide for his needs. He can resist the real temptation around what his body wants, and he can choose what he truly needs, which is to believe the words of the Father and to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. Believe the words of the Father, rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. This is so critical theologically. What is the clearest picture we're given of the Trinity in the whole Bible? What do you think the clearest depiction of the Trinity, God three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God is revealed in Scripture. The clearest picture of the Trinity is the baptism of Jesus. Got the voice of God the Father saying from heaven, this is my son. Jesus is the son of God being baptized in the water. And then the Holy Spirit empowering Christ, visibly coming onto Christ. You get the whole picture. When Jesus is in the wilderness, he may be alone. But friends, this is so important. He is not independent. He is alone, but he is not independent. He is not winning these battles of temptation all by himself, which leads us finally to this other benefit, the second benefit of temptation. Another good thing about temptation, in other words, is this, that through our temptations, our our, um, independence is exposed A second benefit of temptation is it exposes our inflated views of independence. In other words, temptation exposes the ways we are trying to be self-reliant. Temptation exposes the ways we are trying to do it on our own. In other words, temptation points to the places in our lives where we most need to ask God to help us. Why do you most need to ask God to help you in your areas of temptation? Because your areas of temptation are where you're trying to do it by yourself. That's where you're trying to do it on your own. My wife's Latin American culture is, is different in several ways than my North American culture. In her family and in her culture, the individual is understood more relationally. Uh, many cultures understand self more in terms of community than in terms of the individual. My son Matthew and I were watching an old Western last weekend, and he said this, and I wrote it down because it was just so perfect. He said, why is he always alone? Why is the main character, right? Why is the classic 
John Wayne type character. Why is he always alone? There are some admirable elements and and, uh, attributes to our individualism, I think, but it's easy for us to miss the basic reality. Here's the basic reality. As people created in the image of God, who is Trinity, who is three in one, we were designed for relationship. Okay, we were made for relationship. We are meant to understand ourselves more relationally, more communally than individually. And this is not a matter of personal preference. And this is not a matter of personality. This is a function of our design. This is how we were made. And because we were made for relational connection with others and with God, our adversary, the devil, will try to erode our true identity by offering a counterfeit kind of freedom and satisfaction through independence, right? Because I was not designed to live in solitary independence as a standalone individual, my pursuit of ever-increasing levels of personal freedom and autonomy, no matter how wonderful they may sound, they're actually going to result in loneliness and insecurity and inner conflict. And the reason is simple, because I was designed to understand myself in relationship with God and in relationship with others, part of a community of others. Satan's goal is to destroy my identity. That's his goal. To make me believe I'm something other than what the Father has declared me to be. He wants me to believe that it's all about me, that my personal actions are my own, they carry no consequences for others, and if he can't literally, physically separate me from others, he's going to tempt me to embrace emotional and spiritual and psychological isolation, and then to see those traits as ideal. In our context and culture, to see those traits as signs of strength, I will be the Lone Ranger. I'll look out for number one. I'll do what's best for me. Believing that independence is the way toward freedom and fulfillment. The notion that Jesus could understand himself independent of a relationship with the Father and the Spirit is completely foreign to the biblical worldview, right? And completely foreign to classic Christianity. But we do it all the time. There are lots of parts in our lives that we basically are like, I can do this without God. That's just, that's not, that's not in harmony with what has been revealed to us about who we are and how we were made. We are in so many ways trying to do life without God. Where am I trying to do life without God? Where you're being tempted. That's where. See? It's the parts of your life that you feel so tempted in. I would suggest, think about it this week. I bet that's a sign revealing to you where you are trying to be independent. I don't think those two experiences are separate. The specific ways we're tempted point to the parts of our lives where we are trying to do it on our own. And we actually need instead to depend more on God in those areas of our lives. Here's an example. Are you losing the battle with porn and sexual temptation? You probably need consistent confession and total transparency to a couple friends. You're trying to do it on your own. It's not working. The strength of the temptation should be a big neon sign pointing to the fact it's not working. Why isn't it working? Because you were made to do that. You were made to live like that. Here's another example. Are you crippled by worry? 
you probably need consistent confession and total transparency with a couple supportive friends. If you are created in the image of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you are, isolation is not your friend. You were not meant to be alone. And if you will face your most intense, most relentless temptations, if you can hit the pause and ask, what is going on here? You will hear the deceiver say, don't tell anyone. You can handle this. And you will hear the good shepherd say, you're trying to do this all by yourself. And, and I didn't make you like that. Come to me, you who are heavy laden. Right? I will give you rest. The real issue in Jesus' temptation to turn stones into bread is not his ability. In other words, it's not the question, can he do this? Of course he can do this. He is the word. He spoke all of the universe into being. The real issue is not ability, it's trust. Will the son trust the father with the son's needs? Is the father trustworthy with the child's needs? Will Jesus give in to temptation towards self-reliance or will he believe the words of the father and rely on the power of the spirit? Friends, one of the benefits of temptation, if you can hit the pause and realize it, is that temptation serves as a signal alerting you to the fact that you have a choice. You have a choice. You can rely on yourself or you can depend on God and others. That's the choice. One of the benefits of temptation is that it serves as a big old arrow, flashing, neon signs. You have a choice right now. You have a choice right now. You have a choice right now. You can do it on your own or try. Um, or you can choose to rely on God and others. And man, friends, that's how we were made to do it. That's the truth. That's the truth. Amen. Let's pray.